Well, I've been away for a season, and uh, you know what that means. It means I've been stockpiling truth and love for you, and the only people I can share it with is Julie and the boys this summer, so they are relieved that I'm here now, and I get to share that with you all. So um, you're going to get two or three sermons wrapped into one this morning. We're meeting a half an hour early, so that gives me an extra half hour on the end. And I figure if you can sit through Oppenheimer and Barbie for a few hours, you can spare me a few minutes to proclaim the goodness and the glories of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, our theme this fall, what we're gearing up for, is loving and serving Christ's church together. And why? Why? It's because Jesus Christ is, not was, He is the crucified and risen Lord of all. And it's because this church, what we call our church, it really belongs to Him. And we are a part of His blessed and beloved family. And in John 15, 12, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, this is my commandment, that you love yourself, no, that you love one another. And this is Christ's commandment for his church, for his disciples, for his people, for every true child of God, without exception. Nobody gets off the hook. The pastor doesn't get off the hook. The deacons don't get off the hook. The elders don't get off the hook. And whoever's sitting in the back row, you don't get off the hook. It's a commandment that Jesus gave to all of us. And he is specific. We are to love one another how? The way we want, the way we need, as I have loved you. Brothers and sisters, do we love one another as Christ has loved us? Do we love our wives as Christ has loved us? Do we love our children as Christ has loved us? Do we love the person who's new or the least among us as Christ has loved us? As the way Christ has served you and I. It's worth remembering. Prior to giving this command, the Son of God loved and served His disciples by washing their dirty feet and then exhorting them and telling them, this is what you ought to do for one another. And to some degree, He was speaking symbolically about washing one another's feet from the sin in our lives with the Word of God. And after He gave this command... He proceeded to give his life on the cross for their sins, and if you're a child of God, for our sins, so that we could become the children and the family of God. This is the way Christ has loved us. And brothers and sisters, this is the good news of God's word. God's perfect and holy love for his children in Christ made real in the life of the local church. And this is what makes the church Christ's blessed family. It's His love for us, and it's His love in us. 
Now this summer, the largest Protestant denomination in America, the Southern Baptist Convention, voted to expel and excommunicate Pastor Rick Warren in Saddleback Church, which is one of the largest churches in America. Why? For the ordination of women as pastors. For the ordination of women to serve as pastors in the local church. And not surprisingly, this was viewed by many as unloving. And there was an awful lot of discussion and controversy that followed, not just among believers, but among unbelievers as well. If you read the columns in the Washington Post and the New York Times. And if you followed the chatter, much of it seemed to focus, even among unbelievers, on who should be able to serve in the local church. But what received the what received very little attention is what the church is, who the church belongs to, and the good news of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about the church and we talk about serving in the church, how often are we so focused on ourselves, on the things we need to do, on our tasks, our giftedness maybe even. And how often do we forget what the church is, who it belongs to, and how Christ has loved and served you and I. And so for the next few Sundays, next Sunday we have a friend of mine coming to fill the pulpit, but for the next few Sundays, three that I'm here in the pulpit, what I would like us to do is to really consider these three things. What the church is, who the church belongs to, and how Christ has loved and served us. And to do so, we're going to go through a big view of the epistle of to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. Now, we've been there before. We've preached through this before. We've studied it in Logos before. This is going to be a big view. We're going to go a, a chapter a week to get the big points. But we go through this to some degree uh, because I spent my summer studying Ephesians and Ezekiel again and because perhaps the Lord knew this is where I needed to be. But I think also more importantly, as you know, Ephesians is all about the church. And very much it's about how Christ has loved and served us and how we're to serve one another in the local church. And you'll recall, as we think about this epistle, that this was an epistle written by the Apostle Paul, but really by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's written to, at that time, a church that was probably only 10 years old in Asia Minor, the church in Ephesus. And written around 60 or 62 AD. And as Paul is writing this, he writes Ephesians 4.1 as a prisoner for the Lord. And Ephesians 6.20 as an ambassador in chains for the gospel. Now those are two roles and two vocations that are available to y'all. Male or female. But nobody seems to be fighting over those roles. And it's worth noting as we come to this epistle that as Paul writes to this church by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it begins not with our genders or our rights. 
It begins with the will of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll read and begin at the very first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of who? Let me hear you say it. Not my will, not my preference, by the will of God. This epistle begins with the will of God. This epistle begins with what Paul is by the will of God. Believers, brothers and sisters, you are what you are by the will of God. Paul says that, I am what I am by the grace of God. The church, brothers and sisters, is what it is, not by our preferences, not by our desires, not by our demographics, not by our politics, not what we bring in through the door. It is what it is, if it's Christ's church, by the will of God. And this is what the Apostle Paul is, and this is where he starts. He is who he is, by God's will, not his preference. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is appointed by Christ Jesus as an official ambassador and spokesman to give Christ's word, not his word, Christ's word, to Christ's people. Which means every word in this epistle is literally Christ's word to his local church in the city of of Ephesus. And this brings us to our first point for this morning. Christ loves and serves his church with his spirit and his word. Christ loves and serves his church with his spirit and his word. And if you're a child of God, this is the way he loves and serves you. And it's worth noting this epistle about the church begins not with how we first loved and served God, or what we bring to the table. Instead, it begins with how God loves and serves us in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. And from the beginning, how has God always loved His creation? From Genesis 1 onwards. He has always loved His creation. He has always saved and led and cared for His people by His Spirit and his word. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Brothers and sisters, the God of the Bible is not absent. He is not silent. He is not a father who has abandoned his children. He has not left us to figure everything out including the church and how we love one another to ourselves. We are not latchkey children. He is the holy and sovereign creator who loves and speaks to his children by his spirit and his word. And what is the good news of his word? That 30 years after Jesus was crucified and buried by Roman soldiers... By his spirit and his word through this epistle, Jesus is still speaking to his local church in the city of Ephesus. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. According to God's word, what is a local church? They are saints, holy ones who are devoted to Christ because they belong to Christ. They are those who are the faithful in Christ Jesus wherever Christ has called them. 
They are the faithful in Christ Jesus who Christ loves and serves by speaking His truth and love to them. Brothers and sisters, are we a local church? According to Jesus, are we holy? Do we belong to Christ? Are we set apart for Him? Are we the faithful in Christ Jesus? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How does a local church receive God's peace and grace? How do you, and I know a number of you, have had rough summers, hard family, difficult health issues. How do we receive God's peace and grace? It's not first and foremost through a program or an activity or a ministry. Every time scripture is proclaimed to God's people, by his spirit and his word, Christ is speaking to you. And he is pouring into you the grace and peace of God. And so it begs the question, are we listening? Because what is the church, brothers and sisters? The church is the family of God who gather together to hear Christ speak to us by his spirit and his word. And this is one of the reasons, I believe, when Paul is writing to Timothy later, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus, what does he command Timothy to do? 1 Timothy 4.13. He says, until I come, non-optional command, devote yourself. The church are people who are devoted. Devote yourself to what? Planting churches, running children's programs, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Why? Because Christ is not dead. He is the crucified and risen Lord who continues to love and serve His people and pour peace and grace into their lives. The peace and grace of God, how? As He always has. By His Spirit and His Word. Brothers and sisters, consider... What joy, what fear, what wonder, what hope we would have every time we opened our Bibles, every time we gathered together, if we actually believed that it wasn't about the man in the pulpit, but it's about our Savior and King by the power of His Spirit speaking truth and love into your love and life and mine. How do we begin, brothers and sisters, to love and serve the church as Christ has loved us? We begin by faith, hearing what Christ is saying in our lives. According to Jesus, what is his local church? It's a gathering of people who, by faith, are the sheep of Christ who listen to their shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I mean, I'm quoting Jesus. It's not me, right? My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
And it's worth asking because it's our propensity, my propensity too. When problems come and challenges come, how often do we read a verse and move onwards and come up with our own solutions? Yeah, we know that. Yeah, we're familiar. We know these verses. But brothers and sisters, there's a big, big difference between being familiar with Scripture or being a, a Bible knowledge professional and actually hearing and listening to what Christ is saying to us. Yes, circumstances, yes, trials, yes, challenges, but ultimately by His Spirit and His Word and through His written Word, what He is saying to us. And the proof of that is how we respond. And this brings us to our second point for this morning. By His Spirit and Word, the church is God's blessed and beloved family in Christ. By His Spirit and His Word, the church is God's blessed and beloved family in Christ. Let me ask you this. Why do you come to church? Why do you come here? I come for expository preaching. It's funny how many people leave for expository preaching too. I come for expository preaching. I come to serve God. I come for friends and fellowship. I come because I'm supposed to. Well, in verse 3 through 14, the Apostle Paul explains why he and the saints in Ephesus are a part of the local church. And nowhere does he mention expository preaching. Pastor Mark said it. You should. And we should have expository preaching. But brothers and sisters, expository preaching does not make you a Christian. Expository preaching does not make a church. And it certainly doesn't make you a part of the church because you listen to sermons. Instead, the Apostle Paul points the saints in Ephesus and he points us to who God is and what God has done to make sinners like you and I a part of his blessed and beloved family. We don't listen to expository preaching, brothers and sisters, because it makes us a part of the church or a better Christian. We listen to God's word because God has made wretched sinners like you and I a part of his family and he loves us and he gives his love to us by his spirit and his word and it is a joy and delight to come and hear Christ speak to us. And this, brothers and sisters, not church growth, not self-improvement is what prompts the Apostle Paul in verse 3 to burst into praise, literally a eulogy. He says in verse 3, blessed be who? Rick Warren or Al Mohler? No. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every material blessing, spiritual activity, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in what? Saddleback Church? Grace Community Church? In Christ. And you'll recall that term in Christ refers to our union with Christ, our covenant relationship that God has brought us into to make us a part of Christ's life. Verse 4, even as He chose us in Him 
before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? A purpose-driven church? A church that ordains women? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Then in verse 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul explains how and why God blessed us and how and why God chose us to be holy and blameless before Him. Why does God choose people to be holy and blameless before Him? It says in the end of verse 4, in love He predestined us for what? Adoption to Himself as sons. It needs to be a part of His family when we didn't deserve to be part of His family. Through who? Jesus Christ. For what purpose? According to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise of the Apostle Paul because he planted the church? No, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What is the church? According to God's word, the church is a people who have become the blessed and beloved family of God in Christ. Not because of our choice, not because of our service, not because of our love. Because of His choice, because of His love, because of His adoption, because of His amazing grace in Christ. What Danny led us in song this morning. So brothers and sisters, how long-suffering, how patient, how kind would we be with one another? If we truly believed that the only reason I am here and part of this church family, the only reason you are here and you are part of this church family, The only reason anyone is part of this church family is because God loved you, is because God chose you, is because God adopted you into His family, is because of His amazing grace in Christ. Brothers and sisters, What room would be left in our church for pride and selfish ambition and preferences if we really believed? We didn't even get in here by the skin of our teeth. We got in here because of Him, not us. And according to God's word, this is what the church is. It is a living testimony and praise of God's amazing grace, which he didn't give us just a little. He lavished upon us. We are a testimony to God's lavish, lavish grace. And this is what the Apostle Paul explains in verses 7 through 12. He points out everything that we have in Christ. What is it that makes us rich as a church? Is it the size of the building? The amount of the giving? He says in Him we have what? Redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. How? According to the riches of His grace. Verse 8, which He lavished upon us, completed, past tense, 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have what? A successful career, a great ministry. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, it's not ultimately, ultimately what we do or say or give to God that makes us a part of God's family or that bears witness to Him. It's who God is and it's what He's done and it's what He has given you and I. Is this what is on display in the parking lot? Is this what is on display in our homes? Is this what is on display in our places of work. That we are indeed rich. Think about who Paul's writing to. This church in Ephesus. No more than 10 years old. Looked down upon probably by most of the Roman citizens in the area. A mix of Jews and Greeks that people did not understand. Church of Corinth, how many were slaves and could not get to the Lord's table on time because they had to work late. And yet, our Lord and Savior tells Paul to stick around in the city of Corinth because there are people in that city who still belong to him. Christ's love. And they are rich. Why? Because their lives are filled with Christ. Because they have forgiveness. Because they have redemption. Because their lives are united with Christ. Brothers and sisters, do we cherish those things? I mean, we live out the consequences and the benefits, don't we? In our homes and families. In a house and family where there is forgiveness. Where people fail, but they can ask one another for forgiveness and forget wrongs because God has forgiven them. And they recall, I was the chief among sinners. And the only reason I'm in this marriage, the only reason I'm a father, the only reason I'm a husband, is because of God's mercy, not because of my excellence. What is it that enables us, brothers and sisters, to minister to one another when we are sick, when we are not strong, and when we're struggling, when our circumstances are against us? I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. And the greatness and goodness in my life is Christ, not me. One of the songs I enjoy singing with my boys is Amazing Grace. We sing it before they go to bed at night frequently. And I think we sing it so often and it's become the American second national anthem, so to speak. I was at an Al Green concert years ago, and at the end he broke out in amazing grace. Al Green left his career in order to be a pastor. But of course, in that audience were all the Hollywood types singing amazing grace. We love that song. 
And sometimes we get jaded to the words of those songs, but we think of John Newton, who was a slave trader who was saved. And if you read his story, it didn't happen like that, brothers and sisters. It happened slow and painfully over a long period of time. And then he was kept, even though he wanted to become a pastor and studied Greek and did everything, he was kept by the Anglican church for over 10 years, I believe, waiting in order to become a pastor and probably not a highly regarded pastor at that, but it was enough for him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see, right? The chains have come off, we see in the contemporary version. His appreciation always for the rest of his life. He did not deserve to be part of God's family. His riches did not come from the wealth of this world. There is not selfish ambition because this world has nothing to offer him. He has everything he needs and that he needed in Christ. In verse 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul brings to a close this eulogy to God's lavish grace in Christ. And he does so by reminding the saints in Ephesus and us how God lavished this grace upon them, how it became a reality in their lives. He says, in him you also, just like the Apostle Paul, in him you also, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, what is the church? The church is the blessed and beloved family of God and Christ. A people who have been forgiven. A people who have been set free from the bondage of sin. A people who have been united to God. A people who have been saved, adopted, and secured. Not by a pastor or a program, but by God's will. By the Spirit and Word in Christ. This summer, Julie and I discovered that a pastor who had a great influence in our lives. Turns out he was leading a double life. And that double life got exposed in the papers. Were we heartbroken? Yes. Was it tragic? Yes. But did we lose hope? No. Did we say, okay, I'm going to leave the church? Think of all the people who got saved under this person's ministry. Why? Because it's Christ who saved Julie and I, and His Spirit and Word and His good news is what saved us, and the security of our salvation rests not in a man or a ministry, it rests in the power of the Holy Spirit to seal us and secure us. And brothers and sisters, that's true on our best days and that's true on our worst days. It doesn't excuse our sin. It's not to minimize what has happened. But it's not built on our circumstances. And when our circumstances or our friends or the people of this world shatter, our hope endures. And in fact, there's a sigh of relief that our salvation and our relationship and our membership in the family of God is built on Christ and not man. It's built on a grace, brothers and sisters, 
that is far greater than our sin and the sins of others. This brings us to our final point this morning. By God's amazing grace, the church is the body of Christ. By God's amazing grace, the church is the body of Christ. This, brothers and sisters, is the gospel truth that undergirds and inspires the Apostle Paul's prayer for the local church. In the following verses, in verse 15 through 23, and what is his prayer for the church? That they would stop and escape from suffering, that the Romans or the Jews would stop persecuting them, that perhaps they would get the right job or spouse or person or place. He prays for none of those things. And I don't want to diminish. If you're struggling, you should pray to the Lord for help in your place of work. If there are things you need, it delights the Lord to go to Him. But those aren't the primary concerns or things that we need, brothers and sisters, as children of God. It's like a child of a wealthy family complaining, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have this. When anything you need, you can have because your parents love you. His prayer is that this church will grow, not in size or numbers, but in a true appreciation and understanding of the immeasurable greatness of their God and the immeasurable greatness of what God has done and is doing in them and in their local church, in their marriages, in their families, in their places of work, in and through the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. Brothers and sisters, how often do we stop and give thanks for our brothers and sisters in the local church, including those who drive us crazy and nuts? Right? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. What's the Apostle Paul's point here? If you and I, indeed, by God's grace, are a part of Christ, if we are a part of His body, if we're connected to Him, if we're united with Christ, you and I are a part of All that God has done in Christ, all that God is doing in Christ, 
all that God will do in Christ, in the universe and here on earth. And most importantly, all that has been done, all that he is doing, all he will do, is most visibly displayed in God's resurrecting his son, exalting him and lifting him up over all authority and all power. Greater than the Roman Empire and certainly greater than the United States of America. One of my favorite Old Testament accounts is in 2 Kings chapter 6. The king of Syria sends an army to seize the prophet Elisha. And Elisha's servant, this is not the technical term, he freaks out. Shows up, wakes up in the morning at Dothan and sees the Syrian army, chariots and horses all arrayed to come for them. We read in the psalm this morning, the righteous man does not fear when bad news comes. Why? Because his trust is in the Lord. How have we responded this week when bad news has come? I struggle. So what does Elisha say to his servant who's freaking out? Verse 16, 2 Kings 6. He says, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and he said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Does it sound familiar? Because Paul's praying a very similar prayer for the saints in Ephesus and Christ is making the same plea for you and I through the Apostle Paul this morning that our eyes would be opened and that we might see the immeasurable greatness of the God who has saved us and the immeasurable greatness of what he has done for us, the immeasurable greatness of what we have in Christ, the immeasurable greatness of what it means to be part of the beloved and blessed family of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the extension of that is the local church. Brothers and sisters, this is our greatest need. It's an appreciation of all that God is and all that He has done for us in Christ. If we saw it, brothers and sisters, like Elisha's servant, it would change everything. Because everything that we need, we have in Christ. And everything that needs to be accomplished in our life, God has accomplished on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. And the filling that we need, brothers and sisters, is not our bank accounts. Easy to say, I know, we struggle with that. But it's that richness that comes in Christ. Will we trust Him? Will we believe Him? Brothers and sisters, what makes the church great is not you and I. The church is a collection of broken sinners. What makes the church great is that it is a collection of broken sinners who are filled with Christ. This is what he's pointing out to at the end. He talks about Christ filling all in all. And this is what the body of Christ is. Like the human body, it is not an institution. It is not an organization. It is not a man-made machine. The church is a miracle and work of God's creation. It's a miracle and work of God's grace. It is a miracle of God's work in Christ. 
It is not a club. It is not a political party. It is not a profession. It is not a collection of people who are identical, who do all the same things, vote the same way, and all look the same way, and are all part of the same demographic. The church is made up, like the human body, of a diversity of people who live and walk and work together. Why? Because they are all connected They are all loved and they are all led by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who leads the body, brothers and sisters? And unlike the human body as it is now, the power at work in the church, and this includes the local church, is not the power of sin and death, It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that exalted him to the right hand of the Father, that put all things under his feet, the head over all things. Paul says, this is the power that's at work in you. So why then, brothers and sisters, do we bring in the world into the church? We should do it this way. Why don't we do this? Why can't it be like this? And we bring all this garbage from the world in. What is, brothers and sisters, the visible proof of God's power at work in your life and mine? Well, Paul points it out in verse 15. It's a believer's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a faith that's verified by enduring obedience to his word. And it's a love toward all the saints. Faith in Christ and love towards all the saints. That's the unity of the church, brothers and sisters. This is what unites us and shows our unity with Christ, that we believe in him as Savior and Lord, and we're going to obey him. That's just the visible manifestation. It doesn't earn our relationship. It's the visible manifestation that we're connected. And it's our love for one another and the way Christ loves us. Where does that come from, brothers and sisters? Where does it come to forgive someone? Where does it come to sit next to someone after they've hurt you the week before? Where does it come from, brothers and sisters, to minister to someone who's been hard in your life? The sweet thing is, it comes from Christ who fills all in all and who's already triumphed over sin and death. We were on a road trip recently. And on that road trip, Julie and I had planned to make a stop. Don't tell the dentist. Our kids love candy. They're handing some of it out today. So we said, okay, we'll stop at one of these old school sweet shops. We won't tell our kids. We'll save it as a surprise. Planned out, set, ready to go. Money had been set aside. Grandparents had given us some cash. So, you know, it's all set, ready to go. Do we have to stop? Can't we get home? Right? Okay, we'll do it. Why? In the end, in spite of wanting a different plan, maybe a little bit of grumbling and discontent, at the end of the day, they did it. Why? Because we're their parents. They're supposed to. But also, I think, I'd like to think at the back of their head, they know we love them. Okay, we're part of this family. We gotta go. And then we get there. Happier than pigs in mud, right? 
And brothers and sisters, sometimes in the family of God, we can be like that. And praise God, what a gracious Savior we have. He understands. And in spite of our grumbling and complaining, He still gets us to where we need to be. And He still fills our pockets with spending money. And He still provides us with everything we need for our families, our marriages, our children. All of those different things. And the fact that we say, okay, we'll go along with it, God, doesn't make it like we put it all together. He planned it. He put it together. He provided the money. He did everything. We're just part of his family and we're going with it, brothers and sisters. And the sweetness, brothers and sisters, of the family of Christ, it really begins and ends with God's love for his children that is perfect and gracious and that's greater than our sin. And when this is demonstrated and made visible, it's as we trust him and say, okay, you're a good father. You love me perfectly. Your grace is greater than my sin and the sin of all those people around me. In spite of my circumstances, in spite of my difficulties, I will rejoice and I will hope and I will wait because what matters most to me is you. And I'm going to love the people around me in the same way that you loved me, because I'm able to do it, because you filled my heart and my pockets with Christ, with love. And as we do this, brothers and sisters, this is what shows the world that we are not of the world. This is what makes the gospel visible in a world that's running in the opposite direction. It's a life that demonstrates the richness and beauty of our Savior and His grace. So I have a few application points for you before we go. Could I have my final slide, if it's around? How do we love and serve Christ's church together? Well, in chapter 1 in Ephesians, it begins, brothers and sisters, with God's will, and it begins with us listening to Christ speaking to us. Before we can run around and say, I'm going to give this, do this, serve this, and love these people, we need to start by listening to who our Savior is and what He's done for us. Are we following His lead? Are we listening to Christ speak to us through His Word? Secondly, praising God. It's the second portion. How do we love and serve Christ's church together. Brothers and sisters, imagine how we would sing if we actually believed the words of what we're singing. What we sang, come behold the wondrous mystery. If it really is a wondrous mystery, can you, we, if we live the wondrous mystery of God having forgiven us for how wretched sinners we are and that we're here by His grace, whoa, you know? We'd be blasting it out. Our hearts would be full, Right? And so we begin each day, brothers and sisters, putting off the ugliness of the world and all the discontent of the world. And let me encourage you in the morning when you wake up and before you go to bed at night, consider one attribute of God and one thing the Lord has done for you through the gospel. To praise the Lord for who He is and what He has done for you in Christ, including making me a part of this family. Your biological family, if you have a family of believers here, but the, ultimately the church family. Number three, pray. Pray that God would grow all of us 
in an appreciation and understanding of who he is and what he's done for us in Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is Christian maturity. Who are the great missionaries who have gone abroad? Who are the men like Hudson Taylor who go to people who look differently and spend years with hardly anybody coming into their churches and yet persevere to love people who are so different from them? They are men who have an appreciation of who God is and what he has done for them. And because of that, they are not without hope and they can bear and be patient because they see with eyes of faith the things that are not seen by men. And finally, brothers and sisters, the bigger question is, are you a part of Christ? And you are part of his family. Because if not, none of this applies. Except the offer that you can be part of Christ. And you can be part of his family. And you can be forgiven. Not in your works or merits or what you do or how clean your life is. But because of his love for you. And his call to repent. And place your faith in Christ alone. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus. What a Savior. What a salvation. What a church. It all belongs to you and your grace. May we sing of it now through eternity. And may the world see what is already true. That you are not dead, but you are risen. And that you have loved us with a love that is holy and perfect and pure. And that is greater than our sin and our depravity. In your name we pray, amen.